All right, good morning, church. Good to be back with you. Suffering for Jesus down in Arizona last week. Uh, it was so sad to leave the negative temperatures here in Alaska. But um, had a left hip replacement. Got a, my right one done last year and then uh, evened things up on the, on the left side. And recovery's been even faster this time than last. So just praising the Lord for that. Thank you for all of you who've been praying and, and uh, sending the love. I've appreciated that. But it's good to be, good to be back. Uh, we are studying through the book of Matthew together. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, talking about kingdom priorities of wallets and worry. So get those checkbooks ready. Now, let's say that your, um, this is hypothetical, but it, let's say that your house uh, is burning down right now, okay? Uh, you, get, you could get and go back in and grab one item. What is it that you're grabbing? Now, let's assume that all the people and pets are safe, right? If I had chosen my iPad over Jill... Um, I would also be choosing the couch tonight, so got to be careful on those. But if you have, do you have that object in your head? Okay, now turn to your family member if you're sitting next to somebody you know and see if they guess which thing you would have gone in after. See if you got that right. And if not, then we'll get some counseling going for you guys. Are we good? Are we, any, any arguments coming from that? All right, I see some furrowed brows. People are leaving. No, it's cool, it's good. All right, so what is, our, what is our most prized possession in our life? What is our greatest treasure? When I was six years old, my greatest treasure was my little blue cat. This was a water pet, coolest thing in the world. You could bring this thing with you in the pool. You could bring it with you in the tub. You could take it with you to the dining room table and spread all sorts of diseases all around. It was fantastic. Uh, when we were in Florida visiting my grandparents, of course, I took Blue Cat. I don't remember what I, I think I had a name for it. I can't remember now. You'll see why my PTSD sort of blocked out the name. But um, we, we get to Florida. We're there for some time. And as we're leaving, I realize... I'd left the blue cat at the hotel. By the time we get back to our room, that evil, wicked maid had already cleaned up the whole room. Blue cat, I I wish I had a better ending for you, but blue cat was gone forever. (laughs) Never to be found again. And it's funny, I was Googling this water pet thing to see if they had them, and I actually found one online, and wouldn't you know, it had already been sold. So I still, to this day, 35 years old, don't have my blue cat. It's very depressing. Um, Jesus today wants to talk to us about our relationship to stuff. We're talking about treasures in our life. We're walking through the book of Matthew, and this is our fourth of six weeks on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And in Matthew 6, he is talking to his followers about how to live right in his kingdom, what a kingdom heart looks like in action. And we always want to ask, when we're looking at a portion of scripture, what's the author's meaning? Like, what is his aim? Why is he telling us what he's telling us in the second half of chapter 6? And what we're going to see here is two commands that we need to pay attention to. The first one is this. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. The second command is do not be anxious or worry, but seek first God's kingdom 
and his righteousness. And we're going to see that this is the second command that actually tells us how to fill out the first command. Don't worry about the temporary stuff, but instead set your sights on the stuff that God cares about. Now, let's be clear this morning. He is not telling his followers it's wrong to have stuff. What he's telling us is that we are not to put security into our stuff. Not in the things that we can see and touch, not in the blue cats in our lives, but in the one whom we can right now neither see nor hear. The reality is we're all looking for security in something. Financial security, we're looking, we, we make sure, it's why we have locks on our doors and little vivant signs in the lawn, right? It's why we have airbags in our car. That's why we buy our wives winter tires when they're Californian drivers and you waited until February because you're still learning how to husband. Um, <laughs> but God is faithful. Oh man. Um, in this chapter, Matthew 6, Jesus is warning his disciples about finding security in all the wrong places. Last week, Pastor Ross walked us through the first half of chapter 6, that we're not to look at it in approval from others, but only in our Heavenly Father in his rewards. In this second half of the chapter, he's going to warn us against seeking for security in our stuff. And yeah, it's just stuff. But it points to what's in our hearts, which in this sermon, Jesus continues to drive back to that's what matters the most. It's heart issues. In these next six verses, Jesus wants to show us our relationship between our treasure, our vision, and our master. What he's going to say is that our heart wants, what, what our heart wants, becomes what our eye sees, and it reveals whom our life serves. Or because I'm a pastor, we got to put it in, in, in alliteration. Our desire determines our direction, which divulges who our director really is. So if my treasure is ice cream, oh, I need that for the recovery. It's very important. Um, my eye is going to take me in the direction of the freezer, and it divulges the director of my soul. As Paul says, my God is my belly and my end is a sugary destruction. <laughs> but oh, it tastes good going down. Um, three things that he's going to tell us about here. The first one is to chase the right treasure. Chase the right treasure. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, what's a treasure? What, what's he talking about here? Well, a treasure is simply this. It's, th it's, th it's something that we try to keep because we value it. The things that we value, we try to secure, make sure that we still have it. And so I was freaking out because I had lost my blue cat. I, it was a treasure of mine. I wanted to keep it. That thing that you'd run back into the flaming house for is something you value. That's why you want to keep it, secure it. For some of us, it's money. For some of us, it might be vehicles. It's, but it's not just material stuff. Some of us are trying to hold on to our reputation. Or, or certain relationships in our life, our career, our status, the amount of Facebook likes that we get. And what Jesus says here is be careful where you lay them up. Now this phrase, lay them up, it means to, to heap them or store or pile. You're accumulating stuff. Take me back to my childhood, the DuckTales cartoons, where Scrooge McDuck is heaping up money into his giant money bin, right? Hoarding it for him himself. And what Jesus says here is he says, lay them up in heaven, not on earth. And again, this isn't just a location this is the temporary versus the eternal. In fact, there's two reasons, he says, to lay it up in heaven and not on earth. The first one is this. One of these places is temporary. 
The other place is eternal. And notice what he says. Don't lay it up where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but rather in the place where moth and rust doesn't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. As a kid growing up, I hated getting food for presents at Christmas time. I'm like, what's up with that? I eat it and it's gone, right? I wanted something that would last forever, like toys. But of course, we know the same thing is true of those toys, right? The blue cat, had I not lost it, the moths would have eventually gotten to it. I was already playing with it so much, it was starting to wear down and fray. That, that cat wasn't going to last forever. In fact, none of our stuff does, Jesus is saying. We can get the newest iPhone, but it's not going to be much time before the battery wears down, the new one comes out, and it makes it obsolete, and you can't get the operating system to update, and blah, blah, blah. The heirlooms that we have that have been passed down from generations, eventually it's going to get lost or broken in the next move, so just chill out. Even digital things in our lives, the viruses crash programs. We all, no matter what financial security we think we have, we're all a stock market crash away from that all going goodbye. You could lose your job tomorrow. Your house could burn down. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Man, such a pick-me-up. But Jesus says, Jesus says there's a place. There's a place where you can make investments that will never be lost. And where is that? It's not in the temporary stuff, the material it's the human soul. When someone's born again into God's kingdom, that's an eternal deposit, right? Moths can't touch that stuff. You can't push someone back into the womb or back into the tomb who's been born again. When you love someone well, when, when, when you become more like Jesus, you're dropping an eternal coin into an account that moths and burglars can't. In the words of the all-wise MC Hammer, can't touch this. Can't touch this. Second thing, it's one's temporary, one's eternal. Secondly, our treasure focuses our heart. Our treasure focuses our heart. Verse 21, for, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What, what does he mean by that? Well, in, the, in, the, in Jewish culture, the heart was the seat of your will and your desire. It was the core of who you were. And so what Jesus is saying here is our most cherished treasure, subtly, often, but inevitably, is the compass of our heart. It directs us. It, 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 all of our decisions, the things we value, they're all based around what we treasure. So if the thing I value most in my life is money or the illusion of financial security, I'm going to become a greedy person. Our character always conforms to our treasures. And you play that thing out, whatever it is for you, pleasure, comfort, approval from others. That's who you're going to become. In fact, this leads to Jesus' next point. Our desires in our heart determines the direction of our eyes. We have to cast the right treasure, but also we need to cast the right vision. Verse 22, he says, the, the eye is the lamp of the body. It means it leads and it guides us. You're walking down a path. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. You're going to see clearly. You're going to move in the right direction. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You won't know where you're going. Like driving in the Alaskan winter without headlights. Now we often buy the lie 
that it's not going to hurt just to look, right? We're just looking, not a big deal. But the truth is, what Jesus is saying here is the more that you behold something, the more you move toward it and become like it. You ever been driving down bridge access on a clear sunny day and you see the beautiful mountains off to the side? Beautiful mountains, and they're good to look at briefly, right? If I'm driving and I'm looking over at the mountains, you know what inevitably happens. Your steering wheel starts to turn toward the thing you're looking at, and that can become problematic. Keep your eyes on the road. The reality is, this is the problem that was in the, in the garden, right? What, what happened in Genesis chapter 3? Eve saw that the fruit was good for food, delight to her eyes... Just like Abu in the cave of wonders, right? He sees the treasure, he's licking his lips, he wants that thing, he moves toward it, and we all know where that ends up, right? Their heart wanted it, and so their eye directed them toward it. And what was the result? Sin enters into the world, darkness flooding into Adam and Eve, into all of mankind. So we take an eye exam. What are we looking at? What are the distracting mountains in our lives? For me, I'm a big sports guy. Here's me and my brother down at Cameron Indoor Stadium at Duke trying to get on ESPN. <laughs> um, and this was a hard weekend to talk about this but because uh, uh, Duke, North Carolina played yesterday. And I think I saw a North Carolina fan in the house today. What, how'd that go? Go Duke! All right. We won in overtime. But, let's see, I'm, just, I'm making my point here. Sports are a good gift from God, but they're very temporary. And the more that my eye beholds something, a good thing, but the more I behold it, the more I direct my life toward it and the more it consumes me. And I start watching too much of it and I start saying um, very problematic things like, not now, honey, the game's on. <laughs> I'm learning quickly, learning quickly. All day long, right? We could give ourselves over to these podcasts and statistics and highlights, and it could become my treasure, and it could become what, what I care most about, that I can find my heart more affected by Duke winning or losing than the people who are actually in my life that I have relationship with. And so you think about your day. Think about your day. What are you spending most of your time looking at, obsessing over? It tells a lot about who we are, the direction that our heart is moving. And this is the last thing that Jesus wants to tell us in this first section. It reveals or divulges who is actually the boss in your life. We chase the right treasure, we are to cast the right vision, and third, we are to serve the right master. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what he's saying here is what starts out, we intended it to serve us. But as that treasure becomes our vision, directs us where we're going in our life, it actually reveals itself to us as our master. And now instead of it serving us, it's us serving it. Or as Dallas Willard would say, we cannot but serve our treasures. Cannot but serve our treasures. So you might start out thinking, man, I, money is good, right? I can use this money to serve me. I can get a nice safe house. I can get a nice safe car. I can provide for my family. Uh, we can have a secure financial future and retirement. And again, none of those things are evil. But what happens is if that becomes the thing that we think will make us happy, the thing that will make us uh, secure, it starts to consume us. And before we know it, 
we're actually served. It's, uh, we are serving it. Money becomes our master, and it starts telling us how we prioritize and how we spend our time and where our heart is, where our emotions are at. And here's the reality. We're all going to be serving a master. Autonomy is an illusion. Bob Dylan said it this way. Oh, there's our slavery to money. Bob Dylan says it this way. You, you can serve the devil or you can serve the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. The question isn't if you're serving somebody, it's who. Or as Charles Price said it, freedom of choice in life is limited to one fundamental option. You get one choice in your life, and it's this. We choose our master. We choose who we serve. Thereafter, everything we do is a consequence to that. And we might think, no, 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 you don't. I'm in control still. It's a lie. It's a lie. Our master will determine the course of our life. And what Jesus says about that master is there can only be one. He says, you cannot, verse 24, serve God and money. Now, he's using money as illustration. You could fill in this with another blank if, if, if that's where your heart is. And what Jesus is teaching here is you get one ultimate treasure, one vision in your eye, one master of your life. Now, most of us have engaged in some kind of slave-master relationship. When we think about these kind of things, we think about work. And you can have more than one employer. I do. I'm a pastor at Peninsula Grace. I also sub for the borough, and I call basketball games for KSRM. I've got three bosses, right? And this tax season, that complicates things drastically. But when it comes to a slave-master relationship, you only get one. Slaves don't get to decide who they're serving for the weekend. In fact, Tasker says it this way, single ownership and full-time service are the essence of slavery. God is either served with a single-eyed devotion or not at all. You're for him or you're against him, Jesus says. And this is why polygamy doesn't work. You, you can't be utterly devoted and faithful to you and to you. This is the kind of relationship God is calling us into. So how do we lay up treasures in the right direction? How do we, how do we, how do we obey this first command? Well, it's by the second command that he wants to teach us. And, and, and it starts with this, refuse to worry, Jesus says. He refuses to worry. Verse 25, he says, therefore. Remember, we always say when we're reading through Scripture... And we see the word therefore, we say, what's the therefore, therefore, right? There's going to be a, a point Jesus is making, a pivot in his text. And he says this, how do we avoid laying up treasures in earth? Now, I was trying to get this song right earlier. I attributed it to Bob Marley. Apparently it's Bobby McFerrin. It's don't worry. Hey, good show, guys. Verse 25, I tell you, don't worry. Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He goes, isn't there more to life than just your physical well-being, the clothes on your back and the food on your plate? And as he often does, Jesus points us to two everyday examples, birds and flowers. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It's a rhetorical question. Of, of course, worry in their hour. 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now notice what he's saying about the birds here. He's not saying that the birds don't work. They don't stay baby birds with open mouths that, that God's going to keep feeding them worms. It's not that they don't work, it's that they don't worry. Right? This is the command. The command is not don't work. The command is don't worry. Don't be anxious about these things. These birds are not freaking out. Right? He says they don't store stuff in barns. You don't see birds putting away things into a, a bird bank, or as I would call it, a Roth IR egg. <laughs> Do you get it? Okay. Um, they just get out of the nest every day. They do the bird thing, right? They just trust the father that there'll be enough food for the next day. His point here isn't be lazy like this guy who won't even bring the Cheeto to his mouth with his own hand. That's rough. He's not just saying, I'm a flower and I'm just going to stand here and trust that God will throw clothes on me, that God will throw food down my mouth. That, that's not, in fact, the Bible never encourages laziness. In Proverbs 6, it says, Consider the ant, you sluggard. Store away for winter. Think ahead. Second uh, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, If you don't work, you don't eat. 1 Timothy 5, he commands us to take care of our families and the poor. He says, In fact, you're worse than an unbeliever if you don't do those things. No, no, no. He's not saying be lazy. He's not saying be apathetic. He's saying don't be anxious in your striving after these things. Once again, Jesus' sermon is driving us back to the issue of the heart. Notice what he said in verse 26. Are you not of more value than they, the birds in the field? He says, if a good loving father keeps the, the bird feeder full and the lawn watered, you don't think he's going to take care of you, his own children, the apple of his eye? He says, oh, you of little faith. And I think this line gets to the crux of the matter. The way that D.A. Carson says it is this. The root of anxiety is unbelief. The root of anxiety is unbelief. The, 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 the foundational issue when we worry is that we're not trusting our God and what he has said. Now, listen, we know the fact right? I know the facts that God is in control, that he loves me, that he's able to provide all my needs. I can quote you the Bible verses. I'm a pastor. But, but I fail. Day after day, my heart fails to actually believe those truths, to rest in them, to claim them. And, and you know why, why, how I know that? It's evidenced by how much I worry, the daily anxiety that I live with. It says in verse 31, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. He says it's, it's those who aren't following God that, that chase, that consume themselves with just the temporary stuff. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You see, again, like Ross talked about last week, this is father language. He says, don't you know, your, your father knows your needs. He's going to take care of you. I mean, imagine your kids shouting in the middle of the kitchen these words. Am I going to have enough to eat today? Am I going to have clothes when I go to school today? And you're going, dude, I brought you into the world. You don't think I'm going to give you underwear and SpaghettiOs? 
I'm going to take care of you. Now, sadly, we live in a world where that's not every child's reality. But our good heavenly father says, man, I'm your dad. I created you and I saved you when you walked away. He says, you don't think I'm going to provide for your, your basic needs? See, Jesus is dressing the heart attitude that, that stiff arms the father. He says, I don't trust you to provide I know it on paper, but I don't believe it in my heart. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to chase another treasure. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope that I can find a master, hope I can find a treasure, hope I can find a vision that actually meets my needs and satisfies me. And so we do. We run to other lovers. We run to other treasures. Maybe it's comforts or entertainments, false securities, substances. And when I choose other gods, he says, I am actively choosing worry. And for many of us, we can't even like comprehend a life without worry. I love the way N.T. Wright says it. Living totally without worry sounds to many people as impossible as living totally without breathing. Some people are so hooked on worry that if they haven't got anything to worry about, they worry that they've forgotten something, right? I must be worrying about something. What am I not worrying about? Ah, I'm worried. Any, any control freaks out here in the, in the house today? Anybody with control issues? I, I know this is me, my heart. See, here's the deal. If I believe that I'm in control, imagine the stress I've got on my back from trying to run the universe. It's a stressful role. But if I believe, if I cast my cares on the one who does a far, far, far better job at running the universe... And I can find rest and peace in that. See, Jesus is making us an audacious promise here. He's saying that we can live anxiety-free today. That we don't have to worry about the temporary stuff that, that consumes all of the people around us. Now, I say that with a, with a, a nuance here. We, anxiety and depression are a real thing. And for some of us, this is very complicated. And for some of us, there's, there's counseling, there's medication that's involved. We're not here to shame anybody, because we're humans, and we're going to worry. So just to say, stop worrying, that, that's not helpful. It's a messy process, and it's not overnight. But what we all have to ask ourselves is, what is fueling the anxiety? And what Jesus says most of the time is that the root of that worry, of that anxiety, it's unbelief. It's not believing what God has said about who he is and what he's done for us. But for all of us in this messy process, Jesus is the Savior. He is our hope. So he not just says the negative, refuse to worry, but he also points us to the positive. Replace worry with worship. He says here in verse 33, but. So just like therefore, got to pay attention to these words. Therefore, don't worry, but. So don't do the negative, worry, but. And here's the positive that we are called to. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What are we called to seek? His kingdom, his righteousness. We've defined that in, this, in, in Matthew as, as God's way, his rule. God's, God's will and, and what he says is right and best. Him. Seek him. And what it says here, the phrase is to seek first. First, for, first and foremost. And this word seek can actually mean to worship. To, to run after. To chase this treasure. The word worship means worth-ship. It's what we give value to. And what does Jesus say is the greatest commandment of all? To love the Lord your God with all your 
heart. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This means to treasure him more than anything else. He's saying this, following God in his way, this is the only wise place to put your treasure. It's the only safe place to put your treasure. It's ultimately the only fulfilling place to chase treasure. Everything else in our life will inevitably disappoint and lead to worry. And here's the cool thing that he promises. He says, and all these things will be added to you. All what things? He just talked about them. Clothing, food, our daily needs. He says, you're not going to go without. When God is our master, when, when God is our treasure, when he is our vision, he says there's, there, there's a promise here that there can be no anxiety in your life. And here's the irony. You actually get to enjoy all the things that the earthly treasure chasers don't. Have you ever met somebody who's serving money who's actually happy? Like these, I've, I found it. I found the right amount of stuff. I found the right amount of money, right? I found the right amount of comforts and I'm there. That's, that's not a reality. But if we're trusting him to provide, then we can just go, sweet, whatever he's given me today, whatever stuff he's given me, my lot in life, I can accept that as enough. I can enjoy what he has given me and I can freely share it with other people and invest in something beyond the temporary. But as long as I have him, my ultimate treasure, then I'm good. I'm good. And he ends on this important note in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I love that. How much of the time do we spend worrying about what's coming that hasn't come yet? And a lot of that stuff never even happens. We spend so much time and energy worrying about it. He says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He says, today has enough trouble of its own. Now notice what he says here. There's trouble. He doesn't say everything's going to work out the way we want it to. It's going to be all rainbows and, and unicorns. He's, he doesn't promise us freedom from trouble, from problems. What does he promise us? Freedom from anxiety about those problems. Some of us are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. There are people today dying of starvation. The promise here is that he will walk with us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us, that we can trust him with wherever it is that he's leading us. He, he gives us what Jesus prayed for last week in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. He will give us what we need today. And when we wake up tomorrow, the same Jesus will be there with the same bread. So we ask ourselves, do we have kingdom priorities we have kingdom priorities. I was on the plane heading down to Arizona. I was all ready to go, right? I was set up. I, I sleep really well on airplanes. It's a, it's a good, good gift God has given me. So I'm ready to get some sleep. I'm ready to catch up on some of my sports podcasts that I mentioned. I, I was ready to, to read some books. And I'm all cozied in there. And inevitably, what happens? The guy next to me wants to chat. <laughs> now I got to do a little treasure check, right? What am I after here? My temporary comfort, some sleep, some entertainment? Or sitting next to me is an eternal soul. And I don't know what's going to come in our conversation. I have an opportunity to share who Jesus is in my life, get to hear who he is, where he's at, how I can pray for him. We didn't have an altar call on the airplane. Nobody got saved. But what a treasure check in my heart about what, what I'm seeking after. Just about two weeks ago now, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. 
five-time NBA champion, half-billionaire, one of the most famous people on the planet. He's like first name famous. Kobe, Oprah, Cher, Justin. Why'd you guys laugh at that one? That's weird. All right. Out of nowhere, 41 years old, he dies, along with his 13-year-old daughter. Leaves behind a wife and three other girls. You can have it all until you can't. First Timothy says, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. You see, Kobe didn't get to take his fame with him. Kobe didn't get to take his fortune with him. And he stood before his God bare, like all of us will someday, to answer one question. What did you do with Jesus? Our life is a vapor, man. Think about how short a vapor lasts. We got an inch of rope here in, in the temporary versus this eternal, an inch on this eternal rope that goes forever and ever. This existence right here on earth, it's, it's a vapor. And am I sp- spending these few precious moments investing into e- eternity, the rest of the rope? Am I preaching the gospel to the lost, discipling the found? Man, am I loving people, enjoying my God, things that will last forever? Or am I caught up in the temporary, in this little sliver of existence? Look, God, my mortgage was paid off. Are we prioritizing people over possessions, souls over stuff? See, the blue cat, was, had a, he had an inevitable demise. He would get lost or stolen or eventually wear down or I... Maybe I would have become too cool for the blue cat. I, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, that little six-year-old boy holding that cat, his soul is eternal. Those are the things that matter. You close your eyes with me. I want to do some heart work together. Man, it is one thing to, to hear these words. It's a whole other thing to believe them and walk in them. And let's do some heart checking here. Think about your life. Where is it that I'm chasing temporary treasures? And I'm seeing where that goes. It only leads to anxiety and worry. Instead of delighting in my God and trusting him at the command center of my life, finding rest and peace. So let me ask you a couple questions. Might be places the Spirit's convicting. It might not. Think about your career path. Is, 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 is what I'm doing vocationally, is it geared toward being a present, joyful spouse or parent? Or am I just simply taking the, the better paying job regardless of what it does to my home life? Am I, am I doing things that I know are leading me in, in the wrong direction, but I'm justifying them as fiscal responsibility? These are complicated issues. <laughs> we are to provide for our families. Man, what's our, what's our heart? Where, where's our heart? We're, we're, we're checking treasures here. How, how many of the things we own, we take an inventory of our stuff, how much do we own that we claim that we need, that we really just want? And man, it is absorbing so much time and energy to, to pay for these things and, and put these things in safes and to, to keep them up. How much of my free time, quote unquote, is spent just on myself, solo, self-centered hobbies, home improvement projects, 
instead of building relationships with those around me who don't know Jesus, meeting the needs of those in our community, and discipling other brothers and sisters in God's kingdom. And hear me on this. These are good things. We're not shaming stuff and enjoyment of those things. Anything that can be received with thanksgiving, Paul says, can glorify God. But what we can only have one ultimate treasure, one ultimate vision, one ultimate master. And one day we're all going to stand before God, just like Kobe. What's going to burn away of our time that we spent, of the treasures that we had, of the talents that he gave us? What's going to burn away where the moths and rust chew at it and the thieves can steal it? And what's going to last forever? And Father, I'm here to confess that, man, I, I fail to seek you first on a daily basis. I know my, my wandering heart. We're here to thank you that your son did not fail where we did. And we're not trusting our ability to chase the right treasure here this morning or to serve the right master. We're falling at your feet, fully embracing Jesus, who trusted you with his life all the way to the cross. And up from the grave he rose presenting us with these new kingdom hearts that can live anxiety-free today, casting those cares upon you, delighting in you and trusting you to meet all of our daily needs, for you to enjoy those things in their proper place as gifts, not as gods, to give them away freely. May we use the things you've given us to invest in the stuff that matters, souls, that we might prioritize the way you prioritize, that we might love the things you love, that we might serve you with our whole heart. And in that we will find joy, freedom from anxiety, and building toward a kingdom that will last forever. It's in King Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen.